done for me is it's allowed me to walk into this building and see the men that I've been, been uh, bonding with in the small group and, and know a little bit about their life, know a little bit about who they are, what they're about, all that kind of stuff, and it's brought me closer to the family. So anyway, that's what I got to share. Thanks, Kurt. Okay, so what you want to do is, is take that cafe card. Not just yet, thank you. Take that cafe card and just, just circle it up and then give one of these a try. Give two of them a try. Do whatever you're going to do. There's some great small groups here, okay? All right, got a fun one here coming up on, go ahead, now run it, okay? This is actually Larry Shocker. Larry Shocker plays all over town. He does all kinds of things. There's all kinds of people that come. Larry's doing a concert here on the 20th. And this is for two CDs that he's recently re uh, released. So if, if we're going to be playing this music so that you just get a feel for it. And if you're, you know, if this is going to be good, okay? It's going to be fun. It's going to be good. Larry, we love you. God bless you, okay? All right. Uh, I think I'm done. Is that, am I done? Really? Oh, this is awesome. Can I tell you, I'm bubbling over today. I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm not manic, but I'm really excited, Okay. <laughs> And I'm really excited. I, I was trying to figure out why am I so excited, and all of a sudden I realized it's been like a few weeks before we all been together. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden I was going, it's not just the sermon, which I'm very excited about. It's just being together with everybody. This is really fun. I hope you had magnificent holidays. We're back into the thick of the season. I am really excited about what God's doing with this sermon, so I'm going to go ahead and start now. Thanks, guys, for clocks and everything else you got going. All right, now, here's my question to open us up, Okay. Is life, this is New Year's, right? So I get to ask a New Year's question, okay? So you know what a New Year's question is, right? It's one of those overly broad, great big, you know, look at your life type questions, okay? So is your life everything you wanted it to be? <laughs> I don't know if we're going to get any hands up on this. I was hoping to see maybe one. You know what I mean? Is your life everything you want it to be? Okay, so we got a couple of hands. Praise God. Now, now let me, now I'm going to make it to where nobody can raise their hand. Is your life wildly exceeding every hope and expectation that you ever had? Is anybody got their hand up for that one? Well, I like that. Yeah, amen. All right. So now let me, now let me take it to a related place that we don't often or in, that we don't relate nearly as much as we ought. And that is, is your spiritual life everything that you've always wanted it to be? Is it? Okay. Okay. Is your spiritual life wildly exceeding every hope and expectation that you ever had for it? Right? Now, God promised us a life of abundance. And today, he's going to show us a really big step towards getting right there. I, I just cannot tell you how excited I am about this sermon. I've known about it. God put it in my heart quite a while ago from a guy that I heard speak at a district conference, and I knew that it was for here, and this is the time, this is the day. I am really excited about this sermon. So who's our prayer? Dave Brunk. Oh, that is awesome. So Dave Brunk, who is my brother, is my brat in Russian, and... Uh, <laughs> It's actually a compliment. <laughs> so pray for the sermon. Pray for another church. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for this new year. And Thank you, Jesus. Wow, it's really something getting back in the saddle again, Lord. Just Amen. Pray for your help even beginning this morning. Just pray you'd anoint Kurt, give him clear thoughts, and uh, just help him focus in on the, the right things. And we just pray for open hearts to receive it. We're open to it, Lord. We'd love to hear from you this morning. And I do pray for... Uh, 
my brothers and sisters, all of our brothers and sisters over in Belarus. Amen. Did you bless them? Amen. Keep them, uh, I don't know, Lord. Just help them through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, in the scriptures it says that we're in the world but not of it. I just want you to understand that Dave is in Seattle, but he's of Belarus, okay? He just is. He is the only person that really, really loves that country, so thank God somebody does. <laughs> I love it too, but nobody can love it like he does. It's unbelievable. I love it. Okay. All right. Now, we are putting a pause on Revelation just for the month of January because God has led us to do this really fun thing that we're going to do this month. And next week and the next week and the next week, you really don't want to miss. There can be very different kinds of services. You're going to love it. This is the only one that's just a straightforward sermon. But the, the series that we're doing is, am I not on? Okay, just a sec. I got it. Okay. Is your life interesting? Okay? Now, by that, we don't mean, is it like too interesting? You know, the Chinese proverb may have an interesting life, which is a curse, you know, it's too much, right? We're not talking about too interesting. We're just talking about that abundant life that God promised us, that it would be interesting, that it would be the kind of thing that you just couldn't wait to get out of bed for every day. Now, when I say that, our minds just naturally run to, when I say, is your life interesting? Do you, you can't wait to get out of bed? Our minds run to, you know, what our job's like, right? Because that's usually why we have to get out of bed, right? So we get out of bed to go to our jobs, and so we think to ourselves, is my job everything that I want it to be? And, and all that kind of stuff, and okay, you know what I mean? And then we think about what happens after that, and we think about the things of the natural world. Is that overflowing? Is that, you know, going like it ought to go? Is that going to the expectation that I might have for it. And, and when we do that, I just want us to get a hold of a first principle. And the first principle is this. Entropy. You know what entropy is? It's a law of thermodynamics. It's a law of the universe, the natural universe. And what it means is everything's decaying. Has anybody ever gotten that job that you just knew if you got that job, it was going to make you so happy and so fulfilled and so everything that you wanted. It was everything you were hoping for. And you got that job and then you got it. And then 10 years later, what was it like? I have this little saying, which is never move to Shangri-La. You know what Shangri-La is? That's that utopia place. That's that perfect, you know, it was that movie where they went through the little hole and there was this perfect place, right? So Shangri-La is this perfect place. And the reason why you should never move to what you think is Shangri-La is because you'll find out that it isn't. <laughs> it's something of the world and it's politics. And I say never move to Shangri-La because then you won't have a Shangri-La. <laughs> and it's nice to have a Shangri-La in mind. In fact, God, heaven... That is that thing that God is trying to do with us. Which brings us to a point which is everything in the world is inevitably disappointing in some fashion. Inevitably so. Because it's corrupting. But the law of the spiritual universe is exactly reversed. It's reverse entropy. Now think about it this way. You know, there's a little kid, right? This is how I think we are with the spirit and the things of the spirit and the things of God. We're like that little kid who's going to the ocean for the first time, and there's those big waves crashing in, and you finally get to where you're, you know, you're ready to do it, and so the, all the waves go out, so you kind of run way up there, and, and you know, you're standing there, and you're waiting, and the waves come in, and when they get to a certain height on your ankle, oh, no, no, you, so you got to back up, and you're just a little kid who's just kind of playing back and forth, right? And then, you know, you, you spend some time there, and you get to where you're more and more comfortable with it. And now you're starting to get out there, and, you know, now you're the kind of person that's getting into your teen years, and you're starting to run out there and just dive over the waves and stuff. And the more that you get into that infinite ocean, the more that you get into that just huge thing, which is a little, you know, but as you go in deeper and deeper and deeper, the more all of a sudden you start to get to a place 
that is just, frankly, completely surpassing. Oh, this is not the right thing. Did you guys not use the clip that I edited? You didn't. Well, it's all right. This is just a little longer is all. Um, is there any way you could use the clip that I actually had, that I actually cut? <laughs> the one that's in the PowerPoint. You know what? Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. Just, just stick with it. I want you to see something. Can you see how the lighting on this is a little bit different? I want you to see why the lighting on this is so cool. Do you see what this is? Now, watch this shot right here. That has got to be one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life right there, except for what's just about to happen. <laughs> is that just glorious? <laughs> I mean, this is what I think a life in the Spirit is all about. That was my fault, you guys. I put the wrong one in there. But look at this. I mean, isn't that cool? Now, everything that we've seen here is really cool, but come on. <laughs> That's just insane. <laughs> is that just the greatest stinking thing you've ever seen in your whole life, or what? You're surfing the moon, for heaven's sake. This, yeah, right. This is, to me, this is what a life in the Spirit is. It's just one thing, one next step, one next step, one next step, and all of a sudden you're in places that you never even imagined. Now, th th this is why this is so important to me. I'm telling you, God has, been, God has been inspiring me for a couple of months now with a concept that I think is going to become our theme for the whole year, so this is the first sort of glimpse at it. And it goes something like this. It goes, our lives... The ones that we're leading are so fantastically different than the one that God has for us that it is not a difference of degree, it's a difference in kind. Now understand something, there's no pejorative, there's no negative to this. I don't feel it as a condemnation like, well, if you just weren't such a sinner, you'd be living the life I wanted you to lead. Or if you were just be willing to give in to him, then you'd be living the life I want. There's no negative to it. It's more like this. It's more like God is opening my universe. And he's saying, the life that you're leading, and he's saying it to me, but I think he's saying it to all of us. The life that you're leading, the reason why it isn't what you think it ought to be is because it isn't even remotely close to the actual life that I have for you. It isn't, I'm not, I don't have for you more of the same. I have for you something that is completely outside the box of what you're even considering. This is what I think God is going to be challenging with us this, this whole year. I'm, I'm looking over here at two people that went over, and this is Tamara's mom and dad, and you guys are so awesome, and I love you, and they went over to Romania, right? I'm sorry, S Slovakia, okay. So they went to Slovakia, and, and I just said, how was it? And they were, I was like on a scale of one to ten, and I, I f his answer was nine and a half, but you could tell he was saying, that's too small of a scale. You know what I mean? Something happened here that was just that much, that was just so much more. I really believe, and it doesn't mean you have to quit your jobs. I'm, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is I think that there's a total different orientation that God is going to bring to us, a different way of looking at life. And that when we enter into it, it's going to be like, oh my gosh. Now, I want to say that I think this is not a screen anymore. Okay, okay. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You know, this is in a place where he's saying, you're worried about all these earthly things. 
I want you to seek first the kingdom of God. And rightly, the accent in this verse is on God will add everything else. But can we just do something? Can we get to the spirit of the verse? Because the accent of the verse ought to be, I know in this context it's about he'll take care of you, so don't worry. But do you understand where the hidden accent is? Maybe that's a better way to put it. The hidden accent is on seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness, I love the way the message puts it. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provision. All that other stuff, eh, yeah. But steep your life in God. Because it'll make all that other stuff seem not even important. It's not that it's not there. It just is who cares. Because you've been, you've transcended. You've gone into another reality, and you are of that reality, and now you're actually living it in the life that we have here. See? All right. So this is where, this is where we're going, and we're going to get there in almost kind of a pedestrian way. I mean, watch this now. So you're going to have to hang in there with me for a second, and then we'll come back to this theme. But now watch this. This is how we're going to get there. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, what's that got to do with anything we're talking about here? Well, like I say, you've got to hang in there for a sec. Okay. Now, I, I want you to just understand. See, when we talk about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there are gifts of the Holy Spirit, for example. These are the ones in Corinthians that we hear about, and there's, there's several listed. But do you understand that's just, he's kind of going, there's words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, you know, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, all this kind of stuff, discerning of spirits. He's just saying, look, there's all these gifts, and here's what the nature of these gifts is. When I am ministering to somebody, if I'm willing to be used by God to go and to reach somebody, as I begin to minister to them, when I begin to realize that what they need is not what I've got, but what he's got, when I begin to realize that he's the only one that's got what they actually need, then what I do is I say, come, Lord, and move through me to them. It's a word of wisdom. See, it's not a residing gift. When I get a word of wisdom, that doesn't make me a wise person forevermore. It's not a residing gift. It's a momentary thing that is needed for this situation. And I give him a word from God that is truly God wisdom for him in that moment. And every single person in here ought to be moving in all of those gifts all the time as God or as the Holy Spirit wills. In that moment of need, in that moment of ministry, you, you offer, you understand, you ask the Lord. The Lord will empower you, anoint you, he'll move through you, and he'll minister to them in that moment. That's it. Now, there are the gifts that the Father gives. And the gifts that the Father gives is the way he made you. He made some people to be very merciful. He made other people to be very organized. He made other people to be, you know, uh, teachers. He made other people to be, um, you know, um, well, I'm forgetting all the gifts, but there's tons of them, and there's several different things. But the point is, is he made people a certain way. And you, that stays. See, the Holy Spirit one is for a moment. This one is the way he's made you. And when you enter into the way that he's made you, you're more likely to do good, right? Anybody ever been stuck in a job that wasn't a fit for you? Stuck in a thing that wasn't your gifting, wasn't the way that you were made? You know how frustrating it is, okay? Now, understand, the gifts of the Holy Spirit for everybody. The gifts of the Father, everybody has. When we get to the gifts of Jesus, though, we do a funny little theological thing. Oh, this is just for a few. See, this is a church, and so we have a few pastors, we have a few teachers, and we're supposed to have a prophet and an apostle, and you know what I mean? There's just a few offices in the church so that the church can function as a good organization. 
Now, I, I want you to say, we're going to, that's, that's actually very true. I want you to say that is actually good theology. That is in part what's being said here. But just like we did with that verse a second ago about seeking first and putting the hidden accent on there, that's where we're actually going. We're going to some place that's very different understanding. But let me take this understanding and just show us right now how even in terms of just the few, a few people having certain offices so that the church can be equipped to do the work of the ministry, I just want to take these gifts right here and I want to say, can we even find these in the church today? And when I say church, I don't just mean Lake Sam. I mean, you know, other churches. And I am, when I say church here, I'm not talking about the broad, the whole body of Christ. I'm talking about, and when you look at this, Paul is talking about the local assembly. So here's my question. When was the last time anybody in here ever went to a website of a church, ours or anybody else's, and when you went to that about page where they have, you know, the staff, the people that they want you to know about, and you went to the staff page, and on that staff page was listed the apostle or the apostles. How many people? See? You can find them, okay? Now, now, mostly where you find them is because of this problem that I'm addressing here today in some regard. Because of this problem, what's happened is that these apostolic networks started up. Now, there was a big problem with apostolic. Let me say, this is the one term I really needed to find. What's an apostle? Okay, let's just make it really clear about something because it helps to clear up where the abuses have come from. Here, here's what an apostle is not. The top of the pyramid. This is not a slam against the Catholic Church. I just want you to get it understood. The Pope is the succession from Peter up apostolically. So he's the head of the organization. That is not a New Testament concept of what apostolic anointing gifting is. That's just not what it is. Here's what it actually is. Paul is the prototype for it. What does Paul do? Well, he goes into new places, and he starts building new things. <laughs> he finds out what their culture is. He finds out what their people are. He finds out how God's interacting with them. He begins to speak that. That begins to inspire some people. They begin to get saved. They begin to come in, and things start to build, and he builds that up, and then he moves on. But understand something. When he moves on, he doesn't just leave it behind. He also cares for it spiritually. So there is an oversight position, but it isn't running the organization. It's taking care of the DNA. Paul says at one point in time, I laid a foundation, Jesus Christ. Anybody who comes after me has to lay anything that they build upon that foundation. You try and lay it upon something else, you're building something, but it isn't Christ and his church. It's something else. See? So there is this thing where they're going out and planting new things, but they're doing it for a deep reason that is driving them personally. For an apostle to see a church go wayward is a heartbreak. Read Paul's letters. That's what he's doing. He's writing to churches that have gone astray oftentimes, and he's heartbroken about it, and he's writing back to them. See what I mean? But he's still out there. Apostle just means sent. <laughs> so he's out there doing new things because he's been sent there. By the Holy Spirit, by the laying on of hands of the people, because they recognize it too. He's an apostle. Okay? This church, actually, is a four-square church. Technically, we have an apostolic covering. We don't call it that. And we don't call it that for a pretty good reason, because it's not really that. Okay? We call it a modified Episcopalian. What the heck does that mean? Who cares? <laughs> Bottom line. Okay? But what it does mean is something, and that is, I'm not elected by you. 
I'm appointed by somebody who's over this church and the DNA of the church and so on. And there's a laying on of hands and they appoint me to this role. And if I ever get out of line, I'm trying to build a foundation on something else. I'm out of here not because you said so, even though you could go to my boss and tell him this. And that's how they'd probably find out. And please don't. But, <laughs> but you get the drift, right? So there is this sort of thing, and I'm actually a district supervisor now, and so I have about seven or eight churches on the east side, and I'm supposed to be functioning in this quasi-apostolic way, and, and we don't. So we don't call ourselves that because we're not really functioning in that way, but it is, that's where it comes from. That's where the spirit of it is actually coming from. But again, on our website, I don't have Dave Beach as our apostle. He's my boss, essentially, right? Okay, so we don't have apostles. They're out there, but they've been problematic. Like I say, these apostolic networks that have built up. I was in my office just a couple of days ago and talking to somebody who'd come out of a church that got into the apostolic, one of these networks. And what they were doing was they were doing it more sort of power and hierarchical. And it blew up the church. I mean, the church was a very large, prosperous, really going good church. They got into this thing and it, and it ruined them. And I'm not saying apostolic things always ruin things. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying it's been problematic. And I think it's problematic because we're not actually understanding what it is. So that's one of the things we're trying to get to today. Now, let's go to the next one, prophet. Okay? Well, there's no web page of our church or anybody's church that I know of that has on there, this is our prophet. I'm not saying there isn't a church out there. I'm sure you could find one or two. And they would have it listed in the staff. Here's our prophet or prophets. Right? Now, we have the gift of prophecy operating here all the time. Just... Just hang around for a couple of minutes after the service today, and you'll see pods of people gathering, and all of a sudden they'll start praying, and there's words of wisdom and knowledge and prophecy and all kinds of gift of the Holy Spirit taking place. And I do believe that there's actually a few people in here, which if we all got together and kind of thought about it, we could kind of say, they might be the prophet. They might be a prophet here. But do you understand something? Are we doing anything about that? Anything formal? Us or anybody else? There are prophets in the body of Christ who are operating on what we would call a parachurch level. What's that mean? Not inside the local church. Not really. See what I mean? Why? Well, they would say, because you won't let us in. And the people that are in would say, well, because you're weird. <laughs> Sorry. It would be a, more, a little more problematic than that. I, I actually, prophets right now, we're having a rough season, right? I mean, a few spectacular instances of the earth, earth supposed to be you know, Judgment Day is supposed to have come and didn't come, and that was a problem for us, right? But on a much more fundamental level, you need to understand, for years and years I've been doing something. I've been collecting words that could be tested. A lot of times prophetic words are open-ended in a way that you couldn't test them, so you don't know, and I don't keep those. But if I ever hear a word from anybody in any way that has to do with a date and a thing that's going to happen and so on, I'll test that. In the Old Testament, you're supposed to kill somebody if they don't get every single one of those right. Thank God that we're not killing people right now. Because there'd be a lot, and maybe it would be. No, no just kidding. <laughs> that was really bad. No, there is, I want to make it clear. I believe in prophecy, and I believe that there are prophets. No question about it. And I just believe that we've got these terms, this is what we're going after. We've got this whole thing sort of kinked in our head to where it's become something that isn't happening in the right way. It isn't happening in the right context. And so it is being marginalized. And I think part of the reason why people are getting off as they do their parachurch prophetic ministries is because they're not part of the local structure. And that's in part because the local structure is not letting them come in. So it isn't just their fault. It's everybody's fault. Right? Okay. Having said that, and hopefully, you know, 
I'll send all your letters to Dave Brunk at lakesam.org. Okay. All right. The evangelist. Okay. Now, evangelist, there's nobody on our site that's an evangelist. Oh, here's why. Because we're all evangelists, right? We're royal priesthood. We're all to be evangelizing in season and out. And we are supposed to be doing that. But doggone it, it does say that Jesus put some particular office in the church having to do with evangelism. And I just don't see that on anybody's website, even though there are several churches around that have evangelists as pastors. Right? So that's, what they're, that's how they're preaching. They're operating in their gift of evangelism. See? But this is not how we're identifying them. We're identifying them as a pastor. So right now, I've just looked at three of the five, apostles, prophets, and evangelists, and what I've said is, and what I think I could defend is, they're not really evident in the modern church structure. They're just not. Say what you want, but they're not. And, and there's something of them, but certainly at the local church level, really not. Just not how we're functioning. Not how we're set up to function. Now when we get to pastors, well, every website's got that. Right? Because pastors, I mean, you know, they had a bomb. <laughs> you know? I mean, everybody's got to have a pastor. Come on. Right? Every church has got to have a pastor. Well, Jesus indicated they've got to have some other things, too, that they don't have. But we all got pastors, and we've all got, to some extent, teachers. This is, in fact, manifesting strongly in the body of Christ in the local church level. See that? So we got two of the five that are operating. Now, I want to show you a little history here. I want to show you what the problem with this is. Okay? Let's take apostles the way that they were meant to be, which is going into an area, a new situation, a new setting. It doesn't have to be overseas, by the way. They're just going into a new situation, and they're starting to build, they're starting to create, they're seeing what the need is, they're starting to create something, and what will happen is, you will get a certain amount of growth. See that? You'll get some people that are responding to it, because God, after all, sent them there, and he's anointing, and he's calling on the hearts, and people are coming. And then what will happen is, and this is what we've done historically, by the way, this is, well, you'll see. But then what we do is, we got prophets. And, and here's what's really cool about prophets. Prophets, we don't think of prophets as church growth, do we? But here's the truth. If we're doing what the Lord wants us to do instead of what we think is a good idea, what's the likelihood that we're actually going to be growing? See? I mean, God is trying to expand his kingdom. So it's going to happen. If we're actually hearing from the prophets, if we're actually doing what they tell us to do, and we discern it, we're responsible for doing that. We don't just do it lock, stock, and, you know, we just don't do whatever they say. We're supposed to discern it, and boy, if we all feel like it really is God, then we're supposed to move in that way. And this is the number one way that we're supposed to be actually moving. It's not how we move. Do you remember this church actually started something called Prophetic Hearts years ago? Years ago. And I did that because of this. I said, a church needs to be led by God, and we need to have a group of people that we recognize as being prophetic, and that are trained in it, skilled in it, that are testing it with one another, and that we're discerning. Now, they got into a place to where they actually wanted to do something quite different than that, and I said, here's my problem. I really need you to got, not get so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I need you to stay connected. I need to be able to come to you and ask you a specific question, and go to the Lord with it, and come back with an answer which at one point in time after the thing was really going haywire, we were supposed to buy this building. And I went to our prophetic hearts, and I said, are we supposed to do this? And what I got back was, uh, I think it was 10 people at that point, period of time, 10 people, and there was two people that said absolutely, and two people that said absolutely not, and the rest were in the middle. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that wasn't helpful. 
Now, soon after that, it really blew up in a really tragic way, actually, and some of them even left the faith. That's how bad the blow-up was. Now, that's not good, and there needs to be a, a thing there, and we were trying to do it, and bottom line, we'll try again, okay? Because, all right? But the point is, if you're doing it the right way, God means to build by telling you what it is that he wants to do. And there'll be things that are oftentimes, you didn't think about that, right? Oh, wow, that feels like God, and that is interesting, and that is new. And then once we do that, you get to evangelists. See, right now in our understanding, we think, no, the way you get people to come to the Lord is how? Evangelists. That's where we start, right? I mean, some guy comes in and evangelizes, and some people get to know the Lord, and then they build a church and get a pastor and a teacher. But actually, it's a different thing, see? The apostle goes out, the prophet is leading, and then the evangelists are the people who come alongside, and what they're doing is they're going, hey, this is really great. I've got saved. This is so cool. Come in here. And they're evangelizing. They're bringing people into the community of faith, see, as we continue to go out. The evangelists are out there bringing in. So the church is growing. This is wonderful. Now there's a whole lot of people coming here because we've got the building gifts all working together. See, we're building through these gifts that Christ has given to the church. But you know what? We've got a lot of people here. And, you know, just like the disciples or the, the apostles found at the very beginning when the 3,000 got saved on the day of Pentecost and then more were being added daily. And there were so many people there and all of a sudden there were widows that weren't getting fed. Now watch something here. Who should have taken care of the widows that weren't getting fed? The pastors. But watch who the pastors were. The apostles said, it's not right for us to busy ourselves with that. We're supposed to be devoting ourselves to the word of the Lord and what he's telling us to do, finding that and bringing that to this congregation. So we're going to appoint deacons to pastor the situation, to shepherd it, to take care of it. See, we would, not, we would never allow that in our churches today. You're the pastor. You're supposed to take care of people. No, I'm supposed to do something else if, if you're not that. See what I'm saying? And so what happens is, is all of a sudden there are a bunch of people taking care of a bunch of people. Because here's what's really hard. All the way back in Moses' day, here's what's really hard. One person to take care of a whole lot of people. Here's what's not so hard. Us to take care of each other. Particular people that are really gifted in it, helping to make sure that that's distributed and organized and pastoring and that care is happening throughout the body. That's what pastors are supposed to be. In fact, you want to know something really shocking? You want to know the only time that the word pastor, that the word, actually the word is shepherd, and you want to know the only time it's used like this is right here? The, I mean, pastors are the number one things in our churches, and it's actually the word that is used the very least of all those words. It, there's, the word shepherd used a lot. But in terms of not Jesus, who is called the great shepherd, but in terms of us being a shepherd, this is the only time we're called that. <laughs> and yet this is the one we've elevated. So we got the building gifts, and what we do is we say, we need to bring in these maintenance gifts. We need to start taking care of people. And by the way, you do need to take care of people, right? They appointed the deacons, and they took care of people. So pastors are really important, and teachers are critical, right? Just go into a church that has bad teaching. Watch what happens over time. Okay? You know what I mean? Satan deceives and twists and twists. In fact, what I want to say is the reason why we've got the definitions wrong in the first place is because there's not good teaching on it. Right? So bottom line is we got the pastors and the teachers going here. And you know what pastors and teachers are totally willing to, to do? Allow for there not to be quite so much growth. 
because there's too many people coming in and we can't handle them, we can't care for them, we're not doing this, and everything else. And even if the growth flattens out, it's okay because we need to be taking care of people. We need to be a hospital. How many times have you heard that said about a church? We're supposed to be a hospital. Now here's the truth. Every church is supposed to be a hospital. Just not only a hospital. That's the truth. There's supposed to be something much more than just a hospital. There's supposed to be a hospital in truth and for real. And a whole bunch of other stuff. And so what happens is pastors and teachers, they're cool with, we're taking care of people. We're doing this maintenance thing. Now watch what happens. And this is the history of the church on a local level and on a grand level. Here's what happens. As the pastors and teachers really start to go into ascendancy, they're the ones that are really taking care of things. Well, let's send our apostles away. Did you see how it disappeared? Because after all, it's missionary. You know, you know a word that's not in the New Testament? Missionary. You know what they are? Apostles. <laughs> we're to be sending out people to plant churches. And we're not just supposed to be sending them overseas. We're supposed to be sending them across the street. To plant a church. Francis Chan. How many people love Francis Chan? How could you not love Francis Chan? If you don't like Francis Chan, it's your fault, not his, okay? <laughs> Bottom line, Francis Chan quits his church. Just took massive heat from it at the Passion Conference. About leaving his church. How could you leave your church? I mean, I don't know how many thousands of people it was. And it was doing so great. It was making a huge difference in the community. And he really took from it from a couple of people, and I won't say who they were. But the bottom line is, is, is you know what he is doing? You know what the Tenderloin District, you ever heard of the Tenderloin District of San Francisco? That is a brutalized neighborhood. That is one of these terribly, you know, trapped. You get, you're born in that neighborhood, the chances of you getting out well are really, really small. There are 586 multi-storied apartment buildings in the Tenderloin District. Francis Chan has moved to San Francisco and is partnering with a pastor who's working in the Tenderloin District. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to go into every single apartment building with a small team of people and find out what the needs of the entire apartment complex are. And then what they're going to do is they're going to start trying to meet the needs and make it clear that they're building a church. But notice what they're not doing. They're not going to build a church, one church for the Tenderloin District. They're going to build a church in every single apartment building. 586 churches in a one square mile area. Now everybody goes, wow. And can I just say something? We ought to. Because I'm telling you, you know when democracy falls apart? When you don't know or don't know somebody who knows the person that you're voting for. The state of Wyoming is a little bitty state. And we elect all these people that have this outsized influence. Here's why. Because if you're not a person of character, you're not going to get elected in Wyoming. Stan Hathaway was the most, po most popular governor we ever had. Stan Hathaway's daughter ran for Congress. Didn't even make it through the primary. Anywhere else in California, you're kidding. If you got the last name Brown or if you got the last name, you know, Schwarzenegger or whatever, you know, you're good. Right? I mean, name recognition is the thing that costs so much dollars. So it's all about name recognition. It's not about the human being. Stan Hathaway's daughter runs and everybody says she's an idiot. Now, I'm sure she's a lovely lady too, but, you know, they said she's not congressional material. So she never even made it through the primaries. Same way here in our churches. We're supposed to know one another. We're supposed to be with one another. We're supposed to be in a size, in a framework, which is real and relevant to our context. 
in an intimate way, in an involved way. You, it's, not an, it's not come to church because you can be anonymous. It's come to church because you're part of something. And you're making a difference because you've all come together and found what it is you're part of, and now you're becoming it. That's the goal. That's the vision. So what happens is, when you get pastors and teachers that take over, and you've gotten rid of your apostles that are building new things, and then, of course, the next thing are the prophets, because like I said, they're weird, okay? It's a joke. It's a joke, okay? I'm not saying they can't be weird, but I, I have to say, I, saw, I heard one pastor say one time, I found out, you know, after years and years that, you know, they're just weird. And he said, I guess that's just what they have to be. And I want to say, no, that's not true. A prophet that is weird needs to be called on their weirdness just as much as anybody else does. Right? Right? But the bottom line is there is one thing about prophecy that we're going to find out in two seconds, and that is they don't really care what you think. <laughs> if they're really a prophet, what you think isn't really important to them because they're going after what God says, and they're trying to get that right. Right? So that's going to, you know, where's your definition of weirdness? Is it they just don't like what they're doing, or are they actually weird? You know? Okay. All right. Sorry. Now, evangelists, we're never going to get rid of evangelists. What we're going to do is we're going to put them in tents and have them come into town, blow in, blow up, and blow out. <laughs> See? We're going to take our evangelists. We're not going to have them in the local church. We're just going to have pastors and teachers in the local church. Now, what is going to be the result of having pastors and teachers be the primary instruments of Jesus Christ in the church? What's going to happen? That. And that's exactly, in 1960, 50% of the people in this country went to church that were staffed by pastors and teachers and that had no apostles, no evangelists, and no prophets. And now, today, we'll be at about 17%. That's 50 years. Okay? This isn't, this isn't abstract. This is happening. But what would happen if we did this? What would happen if we brought evangelists back in? And not outside. What, ha what would happen if we brought them in here? What would happen if we looked for them? What would happen if we looked for our prophets? What would happen if we looked for our apostles to build new things across the street, in here, new programs, new situations, the builders, the architects? What would happen if we looked for those building gifts to come back in? Would we, in fact, stem the tide? Could we, in fact, reverse the tide? Of course we could. Anybody who ever wants to say that the game is up is just wrong. The game is never up. And it's even after the fat lady sings, it's still going on. There's just never an end in Christ. The day he comes back is the day it's over. And until then, there is hope. There is revival possible. If we will just get out of our bad definitions are deceived places, thinking that we've got good theology, thinking that we're organized well, when in fact, Scripture couldn't make it more clear that we are not. <laughs> because we do not have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers operating inside every local church, as they ought. Because if we did, this is what it would look like. And there'd be no, the sky is the limit. Right? You know, it only takes every person saving one person and then continuing to disciple them one time a year to save the whole world in something like 15, 16 years. Just every person, just bring one other person in a year. 
we're down at uh, less than 5% of people in their lifetime will ever bring another person to the Lord in such a way that they can bring another person to the Lord. So having said that, I just want to do something here. So God said that all this stuff was supposed to be in the church. What are we supposed to do? Go out and hire the rest of them? I mean, hopefully we've got something in me. I don't know what the heck I am. But, you know, do we go out and hire other people? Is that the answer to this question? Yeah, thank you. This is, this is where I'm so excited, okay? This is the exciting part, okay? All right. All right. Take your, take, if you do not have a bulletin, I need you to get one. Raise your hands. I need them to have this sheet. So it's not just a half sheet. It's, it's not just a half sheet. Uh, you can do the half sheet. Ah, uh, whatever. Pass out the half sheet. I don't care. Okay? You need to have this in your hand, and this is, this is not actually the half sheet, though. Would you, uh, can we do the bulletins, too, so we get the full sheets out? Because I need them to look at this whole definition that's on here. Okay? We don't have any extras on the full sheet? Look off of somebody that's next to you. If you don't have this full sheet... I need you to have the half sheet too, but I need you to have the full sheet to look off of because we're just about to read some things. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is the full sheet. The other one is half this size. <laughs> that would be why we call it a half sheet. Okay? All right, everybody got it? Okay, now. Okay, can I get your attention back again? Now watch, here we go, okay? A pest, okay, not a pest, but... A pest, okay? All right. Apostles, this is, this is a scriptural definition for what an apostle is. And what I want you to do is I want you to say, is this me? Right? Apostles, they're entrepreneurs, architects. They build new things while also protecting what is critically important. Okay? Build new things while protecting what is critically important. Now watch this. I'm going to give you now a secular definition of apostle, and here's why. Now listen real carefully. In the best management material that's out today, what they recognize is there's five things that every company needs to have if it's ever going to succeed over the long haul. Can you take a guess what those five things might be? So here's a secular definition of one of the things that has to be in a company. The entrepreneur, innovator, the groundbreaker, the strategist, the visionary. See, there's the entrepreneur that starts the company, but even Microsoft needs visionaries. New markets, new challenges, new things. To build new things where there wasn't. See? Right? And if you, get, if you lose that vision, what happens to you? You arc and head down. Okay? The entrepreneur innovative, the strategist, visionary, who initiates a new product or service or type of organization. Now, I want you to almost, I want you to forget about the word apostle because you just won't raise your hand like you need to. Okay? I want you to forget about the word apostle. And what I want you to do is I want you to raise your hand if that secular definition or the other one, if that fits you. Are you somebody that likes to build new things? Now, raise your hands and keep them up. Now, Lake Sam... Turn and look at the apostles that Jesus Christ has placed in our church. Do you see them? These are the people that like to build new things. There's a lot of new things that need to be built that God is calling us to. These are the people. All right? Now let's do the next one. Prophets. 
totally God-oriented, ears and eyes to discover, God's, to discover His will. They don't really care what others think. Secular definition. Now, let, now watch this. Again, I really want you to think about the secular definition because here's the point. You may be prophetic and you don't pray at all because you haven't entered into it. But it's still happening in your life because it's the way God made you. The questioner, the inquirer who probes the awareness and fosters questioning of current programming leading to organizational learning, the agent provocateur. You know what I'm talking about? The, the prophet is the person who's looking at what they're doing. Can I say something? Justine, she was, she was the most maddening person to work with. <laughs> and we always made sure to make her maddening. Because she would have this resume. We would design the whole stinking program. I mean, everything would be done. We'd think, man, we got it rocked. We, this is perfect. And we would go home, and we just couldn't wait. And then we would come home in the next meeting, and she would come in, and she'd go, you know, I was thinking. And that just became like this phrasing that everybody got, oh, shoot. We have to redo everything now. But you know what we learned to do? We learned to trust her. Because the thing that she was thinking about was from God, and it was a flaw in the design that needed to happen. The agent provocateur. And she was bringing us to another place. And we would rework it and rework it. And when we got done, we wouldn't be going, oh, joy, how well we had done. We'd be going, oh, my gosh, look what God has done. See the difference? He took us to a place that we couldn't have got to through a prophet, mantled and operating in a prophetic place. The question of the inquiry probes awareness, fosters questioning. Who, who's that in here? Raise your hands. If you're the kind of person that does that, raise them higher. Come on, get your hands up there. You, by the way, if you answered on one, you can answer on all five if you want. I don't care. You, you, a lot of people in here are going to be more than one. Raise your hands. Now, people, I want you to look around, and I want you to start to recognize who the prophets are in our midst. Because this is who they are. Okay? All right, next one. This is the one where I hope your, your, your eyes are really going to go big. Evangelists, recruiters to the cause. Gather others by communicating, inspiring others to join. Now, if I'd have caught you at the door, and I'd have asked you this question before you came in today, what's an evangelist? Well, half of the responses would have been, you know, the people that come into town and they hold the big rallies. The other half, a little more theologically deep, would have said, well, you know, they're the people that when they go to the supermarket, they lead the clerk to the Lord. You know what I mean? When they, when they eat at lunch, they lead the waitress to the Lord, or the waiter to the Lord. You know what I mean? They just have this thing about them that's just all about bringing people to Christ. They just bring, and, and then I would have said, now, are you an evangelist? And I don't think I would have got one person walking in the door today that would have said, yeah, that's me. But let's refine it properly. Let's go to recruiters to the cause. Look at the secular definition. The passionate communicator and recruiter to the organizational cause who markets the idea or product and gains loyalty and allegiance to the brand. Anybody ever read Tipping Point? That, that very, very insightful book. What was the one here? Salesman, right? The salesman. This is the person, if you don't, Tipping Point is, if you don't have these elements in place, it won't gather steam. So the bottom line is, is there is, even in the natural world, people recognize it. There's just certain people that you just, you know, you just, if you find something good, man, you're bringing them. <laughs> right? How many people in here are that? How many people love to recruit people to the cause? I see somebody raising somebody else's hand. She just doesn't want to be called an evangelist, does she? 
You see, now Lake Sam, I want you to look around and see all the evangelists that God has placed in this body. All right, how about this one here? Shepherd pastor. By the way, we're going to A-Pest instead of A-Pept because Alan Hirsch, who came up with this, he just said A-Pept proved to be just ridiculous. Nobody understood what A-Pept was. A-Pest seemed to be better. So shepherd is actually the technical term, as I told you earlier. So it goes S for the shepherd. So shepherd pastor, the nurture and protect. They create loving community, real relationships, support, and genuine growth and maturity. Secular definition, the humanizer of people-oriented, the humanizer or, yeah, the humanizer or people-oriented motivator who fosters a healthy relational system. Who is it who is in here today who you're all about making sure that relationships are healthy? Who is it? Who's got that? Okay? That... This, these are our shepherds. Can I just say something? Thank you for helping me not be what I'm not. Okay? I, don't, I have a very real desire for this. But it isn't actually my wheelhouse. See it? There's a couple others on there that are. Now let's go to another one. And thank God that God has put so many of those in the church. Teacher, understand and explain. So comprehensively ground people in godly biblical truth and wisdom that they can pass it on. I love this about the teachers. There's no sense of urgency. See, a prophet, it's got to be now. <laughs> no, no, sorry, it's got to be yesterday. <laughs> right? That's a prophet. Okay? And the same thing with, a, with an evangelist, right? you got to come now. You can't waste one more day. A teacher doesn't have that. It, that, that just pure gift of teaching is... I don't care about how fast you get it. I just care that you get it all. I care that you build the foundation properly and that you put the next stones upon it properly and that everything is fitted and rightly joined because this is the structure. This is the thing that you need to have in your head in order to stand through all the adverse things that will come after you. See it? The systematizer, translator, philosopher who's able to clearly articulate the organizational purpose and goals in such a way as to advance the corporate understanding. How many people would say, that's me? Well, Lake Sam, look at your teachers. You know what? When we started this conversation, pretty quickly in there, when we looked at that passage about the five gifts, it looked as if maybe Jesus hadn't been good for his word because he promised us that he would give us these gifts. And now we've seen that he has. In fact, watch this. How many people, now I'm asking a specific question, how many people did not raise your hands and when you look at all of these, you would say to yourself, I really am not any of these. So it's a, two, it's a two-fold question at one time. How many of you would say, I'm really not any of these? Is there anybody? I saw one hand go up and only went halfway. Is, okay, I, I, would, I would ask you to do something. I'd ask you to take these five and go pray about them. And look at the definitions that's on the notes, not the one that's on the half sheet. I'd ask you to take a moment. Now, we're going to do something. And I need to just set us up for why we're doing this. What we're talking about here is getting to something that is surfing the moon. Here's what you can't do. You can't be a child that hasn't even put your toe in the water and then go straight to surfing the moon. You've got to learn how to swim. You've got to learn how to get comfortable. You've got to learn how to surf. 
And then you got to go out at night sometime and surf the moon. But it takes several steps to get there, right? My daughter, Shalimar. She graduates from undergrad, just trying to figure out what to do with her life. Anybody who knows Shalimar would say, what is she? Totally relational, right? I mean, just absolutely relational. So she gets in her mind HR. Not the kind of HR that just determines what the holidays are, but the kind of HR that says, who are you? What are you made to be? And how can I help you become that? She gets that from her dad. Okay? That's what I love. So what she does is, is she goes, I can go in, I can get a master's degree in HR, and I can help people find what they're made to be and get into it and enjoy and come to know life better and enjoy it better and all that. So she goes to grad school and graduates about nine months ago into the worst hiring market since the Great Depression. So a job that would normally be a slam dunk because it's an emerging field of $60,000 a year, slam dunk, minimum salary, 60 grand a year, she's now out there for four months competing for jobs that you don't need a high school degree for at 10 bucks an hour. Now, there's nothing wrong with making $10 an hour. So it's not a pejorative on that. I'm just saying she had trained herself for one thing, and now she was doing something else. And finally, she gets a job. By the way, she didn't take the job I wanted her to take, which was for Vail Corporation, because then I got free ski tickets. So you owe me, Shell. Okay? She did the better thing. She prayed. And she went with a company that hires, you know, like call centers. That's one of the main things they do. Now, they do a whole bunch of higher-level search, too for firms and so on to connect people and all that. But their first level of things is when you call in, this company probably, they do it for Quest and they do it for uh, Comcast and almost everybody. So they're a huge firm. She gets hired in at a job that is like $10 an hour and it's the, it's the very bottom of the company. You can't get any lower than what she gets hired for. Now what she gets hired to do, let me just tell you, she gets hired to return phone calls that they've been too busy to return that have come in over the last uh, six months to a year, 1,500 of them, for people that have called in. Now, this is what they've called in for. They've called in to see if they could stay at home and be a call center. In other words, one of the things that they do is you always think you're calling into a call center. Well, you're not always. Sometimes you're calling in and somebody's at home. So this is that part of the company that's hiring at-home workers. Now, I asked her, there's some stories that I literally, I wanted to tell her because they're incredibly funny, but they're too vulgar for here. So let me tell you one that's on the line, okay? But it's okay. I'm safe on this. And she told me I could. This is the kind of call she's making. She calls up this one woman, and she says, hi, my name is Shalimar, and gets those, that many words out of her mouth. And the lady on the other end just rips into her because her husband has apparently been calling this escort service, and she thinks that Shalimar is from the escort service. So she rips into Shalimar, and she's cussing at her. I can't believe you people. You didn't leave my husband alone. He's a married man, and blah, blah, blah. And I know that some of that's not funny, but okay. But you know what I mean? Here's Shalimar just going, uh, uh, and she can't even get a word in edgewise. And finally, after like five minutes, Shal says it, this lady just reaming her. And, and finally, Shalimar says, she, the lady takes a deep enough breath to where Shalimar can talk, and she says, we're calling him to see if he wants a job. And she goes, oh, he needs one of those. <laughs> and gives the phone to the guy. <laughs> wow. Not to make fun of somebody else's hardship, but you get the point. Now, she works there, and you can imagine the calls we're getting every day as we talk to her. You know, I mean, she's just going, oh, my gosh, you know, this is so hard, and I'm not doing anything that's in my gifting, and I just am, you know, and this is just, they don't care, you know, 
80% of the people that I call are not looking for work anymore. But I got to track them down. You know what I mean? And she's just going, oh, this is just terrible. And she's just hating her job. And, and she's, you know, she's a people person, so she's liking the people she works with. But she's hating her job, and it's just really dragging on her and making mistakes. She's gone with Vail, and she's just really struggling with everything else. And then all of a sudden, what happens? The next thing, see? She prayed. She got it right the first time. And now, all of a sudden, somebody calls from another division. They say, we hear you're doing, like, really amazing things over there, and we're doing something that's maybe a little bit more in your wheelhouse, and would you like to come over? And she goes, you know, you know th by the time the person can hang up the phone, Shalom, we're standing next to her, <laughs> you know? And while I was writing this sermon on Friday, Shalomar called, and I took the call. And it was right at this point of the sermon. And Shalomar calls, and she is just bubbling over. Dad, they're letting me do, they, they've got so many things that they've got to get done, and they can't get them done, and they don't know how to do them, and I've got a master's degree in this stuff. I know exactly what they need done. I know exactly how to do it. I know the other ways of doing it, why they're not the right way, and I'm putting these programs together, and they're not only getting noticed by the people in my department, but people who are in a totally different office, in a totally different place, are writing emails back and saying, who is it that's doing this stuff? Because this is amazing. You guys are finally getting this right, and da-da-da, and she's getting all these accolades, and she's getting to interview people, and she's getting getting to place them in their jobs, and she's getting to find out where the gift mixes are, and she's just getting to where life is very, very interesting in that really good way, right? So I want you to pick up your half sheet now. You remember when you were a kid, and you opened up those little puzzle games, and there was match the words? Remember that? And you maybe even took a test or two like that where you had to draw a line. Reach in front of you and there's a pen. Okay? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a next step. Now understand something. We've done a lot of sign-ups here. But this is a totally different sign-up than we've ever done before. Because it's going after very different information than we've ever done. Please put your name in and update us if you've got something. Please, we need to, this is the time of year we need to get our thing updated. So please go ahead and put it in there. But don't put it in there just yet because I want you to listen. Okay. See where it says apostle? If that was your number one one, put a number one on there. I need you to put number one, number two, number three, however many witness to you as you being, put down one, two, three, however many there were, but put, put them down, okay? So take a minute and look at, you can look at the back side of your sheet to refresh yourself, but you know, you raise your hands on some, the ones that you raise your hands on, put number one, number two, and if there's a number three, put it on there, okay? Now, Here's what I want you to do. There's ongoing teams and there's in-development teams. Look at the in-development teams for me for just a minute. Adult ministries, what is that? That's training, all kinds of training. That has to do with men's ministry, women's ministry, discipleship training. That's a really big field, and guess what we need to be doing? We need to build something there. So guess who we might be looking for? Now, it's not just the apostle, the builder. We also need a prophet. We also need an evangelist to evangelize, ultimately. We also need people to care for people. So if that sounds like something you'd like to be involved in, and you're already involved in, there's several people here that are, please put a line from whatever you are of these APES to that adult ministry. Mission support. These are these two-way two superhighways we're building for missionaries. Preaching training. Okay? Inter intergenerational ministries. Okay, can I just say something? Intergenerational ministries is the catchword 
for the next generation of what God's doing in the church. We've done a whole lot of niching in the church in the last few years, and guess what we found? People don't make the transition from one niche to another. Youth groups that only have young people in their youth groups, young leaders and young people, their, their failure rate is 87% over the next four years. 87% of people who are in an active, involved youth group, but it's only one generation, 87% will be out. Guess what happens if you have older people in the youth group too? And I don't mean at every moment. There's some things that need to be just youth. But if you're integrating older people into it, then you're getting up into the 70 percentiles that are making it through the transition. So intergenerational is going to be a thing you're going to hear more and more about. Okay, so intergenerational, we need to figure out how to do that. If that triggers you, then this is, from whatever you are of these, if that triggers you, see, we're trying to match a gift with a thing. I'm going to do a sidebar here. Let's take Lake Sam, Lake, Lake Sam Kids up here. This is our kids' ministry. Understand something. Lake Sam Kids, well, that's teaching and taking care of them, right? Pastor and teacher, that's all. Let me just tell you right now, for Jill, on Julie's sake, she needs some apostles. She needs people that want to build things in there. There are things that need to be built, and they're not being able to be built because nobody's got the bandwidth, and there's not the right people there to build them. She also needs prophets to really go after what the new thing is that God's calling us to. She also needs evangelists to go out there and to recruit because look what God's doing, this cool thing, and come in and get involved in the way that God would have you get involved. So Lake Sam Kids is not just about pastors and teachers no more than the church is. Lake Sam Kids is about all of these gifts. So if you're one of these gifts, draw a line to it. Now going back down to in development. Membership process. We've got an incredibly good, important, valuable, useful, helpful. It might make a difference in this church's life, in your life. It'll make a huge difference, and we can't do anything on it because we don't have anybody that's working on it. We just don't have bandwidth. Now, let me say, it'll become what you bring it, what you make it when you come in. Connecting new people. This is really important. How to truly take care of them. Great for pastors, also great for apostles. Build how to do it, and then to actually do it, okay? Project managers, this would be more spot things that would be coming up, you know what I mean? Stuff that we don't even know yet, but it needs, it's a certain time period, and it needs somebody, and we would have a list of people that we could say, hey, could you help us on this level with this thing? And, and like I say, see, what we're doing is, those of you who are really sharp, and you've already taken the, uh, um, what's our gift test that we're doing? Strength finders. Everybody who's done strength finders understand there's a total lay, there's a total melding of these two things. See them? I mean, strength finders is a secular tool that speaks this truth. So what we're doing is, is I want you to look at this. Financial counsel, communications, marketing. Look, prophetic. Have you ever thought about communications and marketing on, say, an evangelistic level? Really, just, okay? There's all kinds of things. So just look at these things and go ahead, Greg, and... And I want you to just play for a second. And just take some moments, would you? There's going to be some background music playing here. Uh, prayer, tech, guest services, Sunday morning. And understand, we're looking for every one of the apests in every one of the things on the right-hand side. You see it? So don't think that you're invalidated or disqualified in any way, shape, or form. Draw your lines. Would you draw as many lines as you want? We're going to call you and talk through it with you and figure out what's going to work best. Okay? So please fill this out now while a little bit of music plays in the background.
And I know not everybody is done. We're going to go ahead and move along for about half the room looks like they're done. We're going to be putting these in the offering as it comes by in just one second, along with your offering. Thank you very much. If you're not done yet, it's okay. Just put it in. Would, would, ushers, could you guys just have two people waiting there on either side of the door? So those people go out, they can give you their sheet that they haven't filled out yet. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, so on either side of the door. So as you're going out, if you didn't pad your sheet in, just give it to them and do this. Now, you can pray about this, of course. And like I say, but you understand something. You haven't signed up for anything yet. What you, all you've done is you've said, this is who I think I am. These are some areas that I think this might be relevant to. And then we're just going to call you and talk through. So you're a long ways from saying, yes, I've signed up and I've given my soul and my life away for the rest of my life. Okay? That'll happen the next step. <laughs> Here's what I want to do. It's really easy to listen to a fun, good, I hopefully, hopefully sermon and be moved. And then to have it entropy as we get away from here. Can we take communion today to seal what God made us to be? To seal us to the interesting, spectacular, surfing on the moon life that God has for us? Can we take that next step of saying, I am going to follow through on this. So Lord, we lift up to you this cup in which is your body. It's in front of you, by the way. And we lift up this cup and the lower one is the bread. And we just say in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, my life is not everything that I wanted it to be. It is not spectacularly, exceedingly above all I could think or ask. But that's what you promised us. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, we want to become that. We recognize that there is a break between what we are and what you have. So recognizing that break, we put our finger in here and we just break this bread. And then we recognize that Jesus Christ died for all broken things to make them whole. And so we take this broken thing and we take it to be made whole together. And then we lift this cup in which is the life of Christ. And we say in Jesus' holy and precious name, let that life become mine. In fullness, in glory, God, let me surf the moon. Take this cup together. Ushers, can you come forward? This is a first fruit Sunday, so this is another area where you can get things right at the beginning of the year. Okay, this is a great opportunity to get started on the right foot with God, trusting Him. So Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, take this communion that we just did to seal that we will become what you have for us. Take this offering as a I am in, in Jesus' name.